0: Today we have a second Uncager, a uh, second time Uncager. Melvin Wilson is back. Melvin is an old friend. He's also the founder of Solve Innovation Group. We'll go through what Solve's is up to in a minute, but welcome, Melvin. It's great to have you back.
1: Glad to be back on, Ben.
0: So Melvin and I know each other from the kind of, I'd say, digital marketing world. He was Part of the IPG Media Lab, worked at WPP, has been part of a a ton of really interesting marketing, digital data businesses along the way. But in 2017, uh, he set up Solve Innovation Group, which is really a team of strategists, makers, and consultants that develop startups for growth, create value-focused scenarios for technology, and bring outcome-based innovation to market. Now, since 2017, the business continues to evolve, continues to step into new areas. And I know that one of the areas is going to be investment, and we'll go through that in a second. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about what's going on.
1: Sure. Um, some of the things we're doing now that, you know, we're kind of part of a pivot, but I guess I'll call it an evolution. Uh, a lot of the work we did in the data equity and tech space turned into Data equity, tech and investment, because what we found are mainly platforms and investment to build such platforms to allow those things to happen just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of cases, we were either matchmaking, um, you know, money with folks who were trying to grow, but in a lot of cases, we were helping people build things that just weren't there before. Um, So in the case of data, we weren't looking at the typical, I'll just say, five buckets of ethnicity you would normally throw in for marketers, but more 17 to 18 types of ethnic breakouts because that's more of how the world works. So you could actually be Brazilian, speak Portuguese, and not be U.S. Hispanic. Things that, you know, you wouldn't normally think about, but you're like, hey, if I'm trying to market to people, that's like a problem. Uh, We got way more involved in building out those types of tools. Um, I'd probably say we also got a lot more involved with law because as you guys know, data and law right now are super important as state chains or privacy laws. So we got more involved in that space. And we also got involved in right-sizing what brands and companies are looking to do with commitments and how they can build that funnel, not just through their uh, agencies and their second party uh, companies that work for them, but like directly at the company. Uh, So that's how we kind of shifted into investment. Um, We're having fun figuring all that stuff out and basically building up frequent flyer miles. (laughs) While
0: (laughs) we do it, Uh, but it's super exciting. I, I hear you and I'd just be curious. I mean, certainly I would say, Melvin, that you've always been close to the world of investment and new ideas and innovation throughout your career. But tell me a little bit more about how it's different now with working with kind of PE firms and investors and making some of your own bets with your team.
1: Um, I'd say the biggest difference now is there's a lot more um, need for context. I'll just say on how marketing works. So it's always this joke around anybody's in advertising and marketing, like your family has no idea like what you do. You're like, I work in media. Do you make the commercial? Are you in the commercial? How does it work? And now there are actually people I meet who know what, know what it is. And then they're interested in like how it works. And normally they work at a bank or they work at a data company. So I, I find that very uh, interesting that people now are at least starting to understand like how these things work together. Um, you know, what a biddable audience is. Like I literally had a a, a 10 year old say, oh, do you guys have biddable audiences? And I was like, why do you know what that is? And who are you talking to? Right? Like, so that context going into conversations around investment and around development is is different. Right? Like before, I don't think anybody knew about any of this stuff. Like, Like, so that part has been different going into meetings and it's actually helped speed up a lot of our talks on, um, Priority in action with a lot of the uh, clients.
0: I think it's so funny when you talk about how nobody really knows when you say, "Oh, I work in data. I work in digital marketing," and they look, their eyes glaze over, and they're like, <laughs> "What the hell does Melvin do for a living?" Right. But uh, I do remember when we launched the IPG Media Lab, uh, there was a moment there where Al Gore, we brought Al Gore in to kind of bless the lab because, of course, he invented the internet. (laughs) And he said, you guys are doing the IPG Media Lab. You're doing the work that we need to be done. You're saving democracy. And I remember (laughs) that, that phrase. I immediately called my father, who is a historian. I said, Dad, I know you don't know what I do, but... Al Gore says I'm saving democracy. So that's all you need to know. So when your friends Dang. ask, tell them that Bant and Melvin are saving democracy. So there you go. <laughs> that's
1: awesome. I'm totally still in that line.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, Melvin, you know, you started the year like a lot of us crazy ones. You headed out to Las Vegas and you were at the consumer electronics show. I know it's always hard to get going and get there and Uh, Really kind of get revved up for the year. But once you're there, you kind of start to see a lot of the innovation coming down the pike. What's exciting you right now?
1: Um, I guess continuation of trend um, that was kind of following out of 2019. So my last physical non-virtual was 2019. Um, I think a lot of things carried through there, especially around ESG and like health except now they've moved from virtual to physical. So things that used to be done by automated AI assistant are now using AI to physically do things to help you keep your mobility. So I thought that was insanely good. I was like, well, oh, okay, cool. Regular people can use this instead of, I don't feel like talking to my computer that I think is gonna eventually become self-aware and destroy me. This thing can actually help me pack my refrigerator because I'm physically disabled. Like these are actual things. The other is... Um, a couple of clients have just come and become like bells of the ball at CES that used to be, um, you know, minor actors. So wow. ARP like has the biggest booth in like the main floor in, it, in Eureka. And if you think oh, about AARP, like, dude. you
0: know. <laughs> yeah. Check it out.
1: And and John Deere
0: is like one of the Who would ever thought John Deere would be doing the keynote address at the Consumer Electronics
1: Exactly. You would lose money if you made that bet, like five years ago. So I think that was more uh, one of the things where I said, okay, a lot of the things we've been talking about have kind of been taken hold and they're being adopted by all these different companies or channels that, you know, A few years ago, even through the pandemic, you would not have made bets on these companies as leading the charge at places like CES. And they totally are. So I think those are good things. I think one of the prevailing themes, even at C-Space was a lot of this stuff we've kind of been grinding on the last two or three years, which is how do you have inclusive tech? How can you do things with data that aren't bad? Like the data is not bad, but the actions are bad. How do you eliminate those? So you can do what you need to do as a marketer. And then how are you doing in a fair way for people like content creators and folks like that? That actually was like most of the panels at C-Space. So I'm like, that is, that's new new stuff
0: coming out of CES. Although I I got to tell you, I had one conversation that spooked me a bit because, you know, for my business Canary, we actually were one of the first companies to commercially develop a usage for GPT-3 years ago now. And we've been continuing to develop it. And now that everyone's discovered GPT-chat, it's such an exciting thing. I'm in this conversation and there's kind of protocols and rules that you really need to follow when you're playing with this type of stuff and this technology. And I I was outlining best practices. And then the guy who spoke after me said, well, actually we're building a model that will directly connect people and we'll have AI just going directly out to the world. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so like all of my worst nightmares were revealed. So I think that we're going to have an interesting time over the next couple of years. I mean, you know, you got to assume that there will be bad actors for sure. You know, well, well, I think, I, that I that think it's
1: happen. funny that a lot of folks, when technology is involved, I think you need to be a lot more wary of the whole idea of bad actors, not not in a way where people can't be good, but you have to allow them not to be outweighed by the people who want to take bad actions. And I think technology is a way where normally the people who are the early adopters are the people who are looking to do something that's probably bad, right? And I think that's why in a lot of cases, you have to take a gatekeeper approach with tech like that. Um, and, And I'm totally with you. It's like, wait, you can't just let everybody use it that's gonna be really bad. Like we're gonna basically be playing, um, we're gonna be a catcher with no glove against like a speed pitching, uh, you know, baseball machine at this point, because you know the first three things that happen are probably gonna be really bad. Um, So I think from that standpoint, we probably need to take a safer approach.
0: I don't know. It's such a tricky one because (laughs) You know, the innovators dilemma is applied to this space is an interesting one. You know, normally when you see a challenge as an innovator, you want to consider disintermediating or breaking down an existing, maybe inefficient ecosystem as a good thing. Right. Like that's what I tell entrepreneurs. Right. I say, you know, don't be scared. Right. Go for it. But on the other hand, you know, there's an ethical side to this, and then there's an understanding of what you're playing with. And so it's just important that we figure out a way to make sure that that gets incorporated into that process, right? So that's, that I think is where I'm particularly sensitive to it to, with machine learning and AI, because I've spent a lot of time studying that space. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the things where the people involved, there aren't that many people doing really amazing stuff in that space. And we just need to make sure that we set the guardrails. So, in fact, I mean, OpenAI being maybe bought by Microsoft, I don't think that's a bad thing, to be honest. I think Microsoft will definitely set up a lot of guardrails, actually. Yeah, I agree. I think the
1: (laughs) the idea is unstructured tech is not really in a place where you can just release it on the world right now. The guardrails aren't really put there to limit it, but it's there so you can allow for use cases and adoption to happen in a way where people can actually really use it for their benefit. And, and that's, to, to me, we've made these mistakes as marketers before. To me, QR codes, blockchain, and any of that other stuff, there are examples of things that kind of got released too soon before we locked in. Well, what is the best use case? And like, how can we provide the most benefit to people? And you just kind of had people find it through multiple different channels. And really, it was kind of through hunt and peck. Or <laughs> through, hey, you got lucky. You're not the guy who ended up losing X amount of money on, you know, some uh, N- NFT version of Dogecoin, right? Like, yeah. So I think um, those are the things where we could take those lessons and kind of implement them in releasing this new tech out to the public or anything else. Um, I would probably say the other thing I saw coming out of CS that was pretty interesting is more folks were breaking away from academia on their own and like showcasing their tech at the show. So one of the cooler things I saw was a technology that allowed you to extend the lifetime of food through freezing, but not freezing by more than 23 weeks. And, you know, I kind of told them, I was like, you need to go to like NRF or grocery tech. You don't need to be here because you helping me save four steaks doesn't help me. But if Kroger or has got a hold of this and I don't know, saved like half a billion dollars in spoilage, I was like, "That's your market. Like, this is insane, uh, insane solution." But you're in the wrong place. You need to be talking about much, to much bigger companies. But I felt like we saw like maybe three or four other examples like that where it's like, "Why are you? Why are you at a consumer show? This is a B two B solution." And I feel like those things not being channeled correctly. Part of that is businesses like uh, some of our clients and even you know some of our shows not taking a hold of those things and kind of being in the solution business for the clients instead of here's the tech that's out there. It's more, hey, you have this problem. There's actually other things out there that can help you solve it. I know we're just marketers, but... <laughs> this thing solves a really big business problem. And, uh, you know, part of that is I'm old. I was kind of trained in this whole agency as a partner thing where we were like solving why Michelin needs to move to America to sell small tires along with your media buy needs to look like this. So like, uh, I feel like there, there's room for a return of that type of thinking to, I'll just say agency slash consultant life. So it would be cool if we could get more stuff like that. Cause I think, uh, Unlike most verticals, we're kind of exposed to all that anyway. It would be great to be able to use it in partnership with like client people.
0: So let me change gears a little bit and jump back. Uh, You know, we spoke, I think, about a year and a half ago. At the time, we talked a lot about data, data sets, and we were talking a lot about issues with diversity, equity, and inclusion at that time. I don't know. I understand that the work that the Solve Innovation Group is super sensitive, But if there's anything that you can share that uh, an insights, it'd be great to hear how that's developed.
1: Yeah. So we kind of did three major things. I mean, one of the things we did was we went back and looked for, are there any historic areas of data where we can kind of draw from it? And that's already inclusive, that is driven by ethnicity or things that we are currently scrubbing out of data sets, right? Um, So we went back and bought a couple of those. And then we were able to build out with a couple of our clients. And I think at some point we're going to have it released this year, but ethnically verified data sets or ethnically verified consumer sets where you're kind of centered around that it's already inclusive. And now you're talking about the different consumer layers or business layers you're trying to build on top of it. Um, The reason why that's important uh, working with other data sciences, we actually even found out date of birth and ethnicity are the only two things that follow you from cradle to grave. And it doesn't differ across you know different regions. So we also built out a global solution against this that companies and brands can use um, that also protects PI and PII. Because I know that's that's a thing. PI now is a thing as well. But the whole idea was we need to have a return to people-based marketing like all the things I know about marketing require people. And we keep moving people from the equation and it becomes a device or it becomes context or it becomes viewing habits. And I'm like, but that's not a person. I don't know. I'm not trying to sell a truck to a show. I'm trying to sell a truck to a person. Um, and we centered around that. And we've actually managed to put together both um, a data collaborative. Uh, we're working with other uh, collectives like the, um, Clean Room Collective, um, and a couple of data concerns that are, were built out of Hollywood around user data and what people are doing with shows. And we're going to try to release more of those things that marketers can actually use in tandem with either their publisher info, their consumer uh, relationship info, or even info that they might have from their subscriber base for somebody like a Netflix or a Spotify. So we've like productized probably about five years of research that we've done. Um, and that that's something we're super proud of, but we're probably going to release all that stuff at the end of Q1. So that that's that's gonna be really cool. And it it doesn't violate, uh, I'll just say, any security or privacy concerns. And that's normally the part that took longer and made me lose more hair, basically.
0: Well, that's really interesting. And I can see how that helps fill a gap that we've seen in the market. I mean, there has not been very smart data usage that has tried to offer kind of an equitable approach to media and marketing. And so this type of data solution is really valuable. I'm hoping that you know media companies like Group Black and others are applying this. I know that they're securing a lot of media dollars these days. Oh, so, definitely, uh, definitely. Ho- hopefully, you gotta call Bonin, in Melvin. Get, yeah, we, get some time we, with them.
1: We had at least several drinks and, and and random meetings around that at CES. It was actually very good for those types of meetings. And, and then just to have them in person. Um I think it, it was great for that this year, at least for the B2B folks. I figure the other folks who are just coming to watch the show, those are probably the people we'll get next year. But like this year, uh, most of the business people, almost all of them, were back. I know the um, business we did on the tour side was probably about three x what it was in 2019 when everything was normal. So wow, that part was amazing. Um, well, it was painful. It's now amazing. It was painful at the moment. It is now amazing.
0: So. Yeah, well, I mean, I know how valuable those those tours are and those trend analysis that you and the folks provide. But you know, now here we are in 2023, and it's proving to be kind of a year with like big question marks. So it's kind of appropriate that I'm talking to the founder of the Solve Innovation Group. So hopefully, you can <laughs> offer us some solutions. But you know, we have this looming kind of recession. You know, you might have felt it a little bit at CES. Where, you know, some of the people I was talking to were rushing off to uncomfortable meetings as senior leaders were having to lay off folks in businesses, you know, how do you think that's going to impact the landscape and what do you foresee for 2023?
1: Um, I mean, I think it's a right sizing of a returning to normal, right? Nobody really yeah. wants to hear that. But like when Amazon had the entire world ordering from them, they had to hire a lot of extra people. So yeah. I don't know that this is like people that they wouldn't have to normally get rid of anyway, because not everyone, like people are living again and yeah. they're not like living through what comes delivered to their house so i think that's part of it but i think the other part is we're making the shift at least towards marketers to a return of more real things like concerts right like and, and uh, activations things like that so i don't know if the people are really leaving or they're just shifting stuff back to where it was before when people weren't all virtual um and i think we're moving more towards that cookieless future because um, I got asked the greatest question like a uh, uh, last week where they were like, "Well, what are we gonna do post-cookie?" And I was like, "I don't know. They haven't gotten rid of it yet,
0: <laughs>
1: right?" Like we we kind of every you know there was a whole bunch of stuff about cookieless solutions, and you're like, "Well, that's great, but until they get rid of it, we kind of don't know how any of this is going to work." I was like, "I'm a very smart dude, but like until you get rid of the thing." Me nor any other smart dude can tell you what's actually going to happen. We're going to find out when they turn the thing off.
0: Yeah, I think you're hitting on something I think is really interesting, Melvin, because the future and technology and innovation is not a steady pathway forward. It's not like a straight line, right? It's a little bit like you go up, you go back down, you go up, around, you go sideways. (laughs) The running joke I remember in the media marketing world for the last couple of decades was, oh, well, this is the year of mobile. This is going to be the year of mobile, right? You lasted like a decade. the year of mobile. This will be the year of mobile. You know, we look out at things and there was so much talk with the announcement where Facebook changed their name to Meta and then everyone was talking about Metaverse and Web 3 and what that would do and mean. I mean, where are we with that? Are we growing in that area right now or are we kind of leveling off?
1: Um, I think we're growing, right? And that's what I've met like around some of the shifting of these jobs, right? So you're gonna have a lot more content creators for Web3 and Metaverse stuff, right? Like those guys have to take jobs somewhere. So that means they got to leave the job that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would probably say, I liken it to this step up that we had with HD on TVs where everybody's like, I have an 8K TV and you can only watch one show in 8K because they haven't figured out how to build all the stuff yet. I feel like that's where we are with the metaverse. We're still there. Oh, the metaverse is going to be awesome. The metaverse still doesn't work because of, three basic reasons. It's hard for regular people to uh, adopt to it. So you have to take certain things and either have a certain machine, then you have to put something on your face and then you have to deal with the fact that your appendages kind of don't work. All the tech that was in Eureka park actually was solving all of that. And most people aren't gonna see it for the next two to three years. So the thing that's going to accelerate that is all these new people shifting over from regular content creation to metaverse content creation or metaverse UX and metaverse UI. Like there there are not a lot of people in that right now, but it's about to be. And I think that that's when we'll start to see more traction there. And I also think you need a way to transact. So even when we looked at some of the startups we looked at at Eureka Park, the only thing that had a fully enclosed metaverse system where you could use multiple types of currency and everything else um, was this one ecosystem that almost looked like Grand Theft Auto on like steroids, right? But you could gamble, you could use any sort of virtual currency you want. You could use Euro, you could use US dollar and it already had like 50,000 users. And I would say this, which scares people it probably has to happen outside of the US. We have too many freaking laws, right? Like, so we yeah. pro- whatever you're gonna see is gonna start outside of the US and probably migrate its way to us. And then we're gonna love it because if they had to do it here, too much money, too much legislation to actually get a real metaverse, immersive environment done in a way where um, you don't have to spend a lot of money on lawyers. So yeah. I-, I think that's what we'll start to see. And I think it'll be in the areas it normally starts in. It'll probably be something specifically around gaming, um, something around music. So even Samsung is working on immersive concert technology where you can immerse yourself into a real concert. And I'd probably say the other piece of that would be something that also allows people to interact with folks across space. So things you would normally see in a B2B implementation you're now starting to see in B2C where you have groups of people communicating with other groups of people via the metaverse outside of a meeting, right? Like, so I think those are the things that are going to make this speed up. Um, And some of the innovations we saw downstairs, everything from an omnidirectional treadmill, which sounds insane, but how else would you run in the metaverse unless you have an omnidirectional treadmill? It's literally the first one I've seen in you know, the last three years. So I said, "Yeah, that actually makes a ton of sense." Uh, a gripping <laughs> oh, device, I, things sounds, like that. <laughs>
0: that sounds like an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> well,
1: well, it does, but I think the thing it does is keeps you from going backwards or forwards. It's like yeah. an infinite, uh, infinite scroll for people, is what one of my analysts said, and I thought it was an awesome description
0: yeah, of how it works. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Well, Mevin, it's been amazing catching up and hearing what you're up to. Tell the folks if they want to learn more about what you're up to at Solve Innovation Group, where they should find you.
1: Um, I would probably say best way to keep uh, stats on what we're up to or keep track is probably Twitter and LinkedIn right now. Yes, we're still on Twitter, um, unfortunately, but we're still on Twitter. LinkedIn is actually pretty good or go check out our website at solvegrp.com.
0: Great. Well, listen, it's been great having you on the show. We've been speaking with Melvin Wilson. He is the founder of the Solve Innovation Group. Uh, They're a team of strategists, makers, and consultants that develop startups for growth, create value-focused scenarios for technology, and bring outcome-based innovation to market. Uh, We've been talking, actually, about a lot of the new stuff that the team has been working on, they've been supporting private equity, they've been making investments, Uh, they've been reshaping kind of what we're doing in the data space to make sure that it's more equitable, more inclusive, and more effective. Melvin, thank you so much for being on the show. We look forward to having you back.
1: No problem. Thanks, man.
0: Cheers. Take care.